Father, you are worthy of praise. Jesus, you are worthy of praise. We thank you for what you did for us. Help us now as we look more into the life of Jesus. May we be reminded of your great power to change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We humans, have you noticed this, can be creatures of habit, and we can be almost addicted to our set of rules, living the way that we think that we should live. Let me use an illustration. I play basketball, uh, noon ball. I'm fairly regular there at the YMCA, and we have a set of rules, the way that we play the game of basketball. Now, I want you to picture, let's say one day, a bunch of new guys show up, and they say, hey, I think that we should play with a different set of rules, like this and this and this. Well, there would probably be a discussion between those new guys and us regulars about how the game should go. And I hope that I would be one of the people that would be civil about it, but it has been known not to be civil there when somebody tries to change the rules. And if you think it's just me, try playing a board game with your kid or your grandkid and just changing up even one of the rules on them and see what happens. We can also be creatures of habit. Uh, I think I've mentioned before here, I have what Christine calls an eating schedule. That is, I like to have my meals at about the same time of the day, and my snacks kind of fall in there as well. And uh, most nights, I have a bowl of cereal as my evening snack. And uh, one night, just recently, I had poured myself a bowl of cereal, and I ate it. And as I'm bringing my bowl to put it away at at the dishwasher, I remembered, whoops, Christine had made for me a peach pie. It was a a really good peach pie that I'd had some of it the day before, and I meant to have some of it that day as well, but I forgot. My habit of eating cereal every night got in the way of something that that would have been better than that. So, Now, spiritually speaking, it can be the same for us. We can get so entrenched in our rules, in our habits, that we might miss what God is doing for us when he does something new. And when Jesus came, he brought a new way of walking with God. The Old Testament had prepared us for this. There's a famous passage in Jeremiah 31 where God told us that there would be a new covenant. And in hindsight, the book of Hebrews clearly tells us that Jesus brought that new covenant. But you can imagine when Jesus first burst onto the scene and he's talking about a new way of walking with God that some of those people said, hey, wait a second. We've been walking with God like this. And now you're bringing something new. Now specifically the passage that we're going to look at today highlights two things that were different about the new ways of Jesus compared to the old ways of the Pharisees. Pharisees were known for following rules. They studied God's ways, but they also came up with a bunch of their own rules. So think about it. They they found the commands in the Old Testament and they added rules on top of those commands to try to help them follow the rules that were already there. The rules were intended to help them walk with God, but as we see many places in the New Testament, sometimes those rules actually got in the way of walking with God. So here's something important for us, and it's our big idea for today. Our relationship with God isn't first and foremost about following rules. It's about following Jesus. Again, it's human nature to fall into patterns and habits, and those can be helpful for us. But we have to be careful that our rules and our patterns and our habits don't actually get in the way of walking with God. We must be people who don't hold on to our ways when God leads us 
in a different way. So again, our relationship with God isn't first and foremost about following rules, it's about following Jesus. Today, like I said, we're going to look at two stories of how Jesus' ways conflicted with the ways of the Pharisees. We're doing a sermon series here at Cornerstone. We're walking through Matthew 8 through 9. The main point of this sermon series has been that we would follow Jesus. Now, picture yourself walking around 2,000 years ago and you start to hear a bunch of stories about Jesus and then you see with your own eyes maybe some of these very things that Jesus did healing people, casting out demons. You might very well have asked, who is this Jesus? What kind of a man is this and what does God want me to do with him? Well, the answer, as we've clearly seen as we've walked through some of this, is that he's not only someone who can do powerful physical miracles, like healing and casting out demons, but he's also a guy who can forgive sins. And as such, he is shown to be the one that we should follow, the Messiah, the long-awaited for King that we should follow. And it's on that note that our passage starts out today, following Jesus. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Tax collectors, hard to imagine, but uh, tax collectors were a despised group of people in their day. Aren't we glad that we've moved past that now? But uh, In those days, tax Tax collectors were required by the Romans to collect a certain percentage of taxes, but they were also allowed to collect a higher percentage of taxes and keep that as their commission. And there were really no rules about that. They were pretty much free to extract as much tax as they wanted and, and keep part of it as their commission. So these tax collectors often got rich by overtaxing the people. Now, as we meet Matthew here, some commentators suggest that his tax booth was sitting along a trade route, so that what he was doing was perhaps uh, searching for goods that would come into the region, and he would then tax them, and maybe even tax them more than he should. But when Jesus saw Matthew, he said, follow me. It's not the first time we've seen Jesus say, follow me. He said it in Matthew 4. He also said it in Matthew 8. And do you remember that one in Matthew 8 that we looked at a few weeks ago? There were, there were two guys that were considering following Jesus, and there was one of them in particular that, that thought he had some things that he wanted to do first before he followed Jesus. Matthew, in contrast, got up right away and followed Jesus, and that's a great picture for us. That's what our lives should be like, that we are willing to go with Jesus at a moment's notice. And, and I just want you to stop and think about your life. Think about the things that God is leading you to do. Maybe it's things that have to do with um, turning away from sin. Maybe it's things that have to do with allowing God to be the, the master of your schedule so that there might be room for something that he would put in there or that there would be something that he would take out of there that's unnecessary. Are we ready to go where God leads at a moment's notice? But why Matthew? Why did Jesus ask a tax collector, remember they were despised, Why did he ask Matthew to follow? Well, we're not told exactly why, but one thing we know for sure is that Jesus is pleased to forgive sinners. So Matthew, just like any of us, would have been a candidate along those lines. And remember, Jesus didn't come to call perfect people. He came to call flawed people like you and me. Because remember what happens to us as we follow Jesus. This is the point of our sermon series. 
As we follow Jesus, God changes our hearts. It's not that we fix our hearts first. It's not like we say, hold on a second, God, I'll get this, I'll get this, I'll change my heart. No, it's that we come to God, we, we put our faith in Jesus, we walk with Him, and as we walk with Jesus, God transforms us. That's where the power is in our relationship with God. It's not in the effort that we put in, although we should put effort into our walk with God. The power is in what God does in us as we follow Him. God changes our hearts as we meet with Him. As we, as we learn about who Jesus is, as we pattern our lives after Him, God changes our hearts. Move on to verses 10 through 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Matthew starts following Jesus. Soon after that, he has a party, and he invited everybody he knew, and he also invited Jesus. And when Jesus saw who was on the guest list, he didn't turn away. The theologian Grant Osborne calls this a celebratory meal meant to introduce Jesus to his friends. So Matthew, again, was inviting his friends so that they could meet Jesus. The Pharisees, though, were upset about this, asking how Jesus could eat with tax collectors and sinners. And in this, we learn something really important about Jesus and his ministry. He is a friend of sinners. We sang that song last Sunday. You see that description of him in Matthew eleven nineteen. He is a friend of sinners. Now, who were these sinners? Well, to the Pharisees, they were people to be avoided. You see, one of the rules that they came up with was that you should avoid sinners. And um, truth be told, that rule can be helpful sometimes. So, so picture it. Let's say that uh, a bunch of your friends are going out one night and you know that they're going to be doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing maybe that's a time for you to avoid sinners. Maybe that's a time for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that with you. But, listen to this, avoiding sinners at all times and at all costs is a terrible way to share the love of Christ with them. So it takes some wisdom and some discernment and some following Jesus, going where he would go, not going where he wouldn't go. But here, Jesus was invited to a meal where there were going to be tax collectors and sinners and he went And think about the conversations he had. It doesn't tell us what the conversations were there. But I bet the conversations had to do with the kingdom of God and about how they could be forgiven and about how they could follow Jesus. And those are important things. And it it all happened because Jesus was willing to eat with sinners. But here's another thing about sinners. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 is very clear on this. It says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have, yeah, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, in one sense, to avoid sinners is to make an artificial distinction between how bad they are and how good we are. Uh, we need to remember that, that we were sinners and that Christ came for us. That, that his ministry was to seek and to save the lost, and that we should join in with God now as he continues that ministry of seeking and saving the lost. But to the Pharisees, these sinners looked undeserving. To Jesus, they looked just like the people he came for. So let's stop here and do some application. Are you a friend of sinners? Would you share a meal with sinners? And actually, let me ask it this way. Will you 
share a meal with sinners. I would love it if Cornerstone Church created a stir in this town because the people of this town saw some of us eating with sinners. I would love, like if there was a, an article in the newspaper that talked about how the people of Cornerstone, did you see who they ate with? <laughs> if some of the people of the town started to accuse us of hanging out with sinners, you have my permission to do that. In fact, uh, I, don't, I don't want to put any timeline on this, but I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do something like what Jesus did here, to have a meal with people that the, the people of this world would call sinners, to put yourself in a place intentionally where you are sharing a meal with them, in a place where people can see you, and you're doing it to share the love of Jesus with them. You have my permission to do it. I, I challenge you. Verses 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In those days, they didn't have much for preventive medical care. They didn't have yearly physicals or well-child visits. You would go to the doctor for one reason, and that is if you thought something was wrong with you. People then who didn't think that anything was wrong with them wouldn't go to the doctor. And apparently that was the Pharisees. They didn't think that they were unrighteous. They didn't think that they needed a savior, perhaps. We have a little bit of insight into the way the Pharisees thought. The Apostle Paul used to be a Pharisee, and in Philippians 3, he told us how he considered himself legalistically righteous and faultless. People who are like that aren't going to see their need for a doctor. But here's the deal about righteousness. We can't earn it. It's only given to those who repent and believe in Jesus. And when we repent and believe in Jesus, what we should do for the rest of our lives then is follow him. You see, we've all sinned. None of us will be able to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, hey, look at me, God, didn't I do it pretty well? Don't just take my word for it. Here's what Billy Graham, I love this quote. I've used it here many times. I'm going to use it again. Billy Graham said, I have to have righteousness to get into heaven, and I don't have any. And, and he's, he's talking about on his own. On our own. We don't have righteousness. But, through the gift of God, through what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can be clothed with his righteousness. So that when we show up at Judgment Day, we can say, look at Jesus and what he did for me. How does that happen for us? It happens for those who repent and believe. To repent is to turn away from your sins in thought and in action. You turn away from it. And to believe is to trust fully in Jesus, to give your whole life to him, to follow him as your Lord and your master. And thankfully that's why Jesus came, so that we could be forgiven, so that Jesus could bring this message to sinners like you and me. But the Pharisees didn't get it. It didn't fit into their rules. And that's why Jesus told them in verse 13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, don't misunderstand. He wasn't saying that uh, sacrifice was a bad thing. He was saying that he desired mercy more than sacrifice and that sacrifice should only be done from hearts that have understood God's mercy and his love. And when Jesus quoted that verse, uh, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea which is a beautiful book. And my, my homework assignment for you today is to read the book of Hosea. Because here, listen to this. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I was thinking about that this week, and I thought the best way to learn what that means is to read that verse, not just 
the verse alone, but in its greater context of the book of Hosea. I think it's 14 chapters long. It might take you 30 to 45 minutes to read it. But go and learn what it means when God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I'll give you the cliff note version of it. In the book of Hosea, God's people were straying badly from him, worshiping idols, uh, not acting according to justice. Um, God told Hosea as a word picture to marry a prostitute. So do you get it? God's people were unfaithful to him. God told Hosea, the prophet, to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. But God commanded Hosea to keep loving his wife and to win her back. And that is the mercy of God. It's amazing as you read through Hosea. There's, there's one point in there where I think it's two chapters long of just listing all the things that Israel had done wrong. But amazingly then you see God saying that he was going to have mercy on them. That he would not bring about wrath and judgment but that he would show his love. He would say to those who were not loved, my loved one, to those who were not his people, you are my people. It's the mercy of God. So when we see God having that kind of mercy it should remind us that we should have mercy to others because we were those sinners who had strayed from God and God loved us. How then can we look at other sinners and say, well, they're not worthy of my time? May we be people who follow Jesus and extend that mercy from God to other sinners. Just like Matthew, who left his life of tax collecting to go and be an apostle, a witness to the life of Jesus. Let's move on now to the next section of Matthew 9. We'll read verses 14 and 15. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So here's another question from the Pharisees. Now specifically it came from the disciples of John the Baptist, but it included a question that the Pharisees were asking as well. And this question is about fasting. Why aren't the disciples of Jesus fasting like other good rule followers do? In the Old Testament, there's there's a place where there was a fast that was commanded once a year at the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, they ramped that up a whole lot. Uh, We read about one guy in Luke 18 who said he fasted twice a week. And historically, we have other places where we see that that that's what Pharisees did. They fasted twice a week. Looks pretty spiritual, doesn't it? And, And don't get me wrong, I think that fasting can be a good way to meet with God. But you can also see how it can quickly devolve into outward appearances and rule following and missing out on what Jesus is bringing. You see, here it was time for rejoicing. The bridegroom was with them and he was sharing a meal with them. Jesus talked about how, yes, at at one time then the, the bridegroom would be taken away and then they would fast. But it would have been inappropriate at that time while he was with them and eating for them to fast. But that leads to a question. We've been taking side trips as we were walking through this sermon series. I've been trying to anticipate some of the questions that might come up as you ask these. And by the way, if you look ahead and have any questions that you want me to address, feel free to ask me. Uh, But the question I want to ask today on our side trip is this. What about fasting today? We don't live in the time when Jesus was walking on earth, so we can't just give that answer for our lives here today. Neither do we live in the Old Covenant And neither do we live in a time where we can just make up our own rules. So what's a proper New Covenant view of fasting? Let me give a few answers. 
First, Jesus told us what to do when we fast. In Matthew 6, 16-18, he said, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fast. Do you see what they're doing there? Oh, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. I'm hungry. No, no, I don't want any food. That's okay. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. What an awful reward that is, by the way. <laughs> the reward of not eating. Uh, but when you fast, put oil on your, fi- on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So taking this together with what we just saw in our passage today about fasting, we could say that Jesus implied that fasting does have a place in our walk with him today. And one of the other reasons I say that is because of what we also see in the book of Acts. Twice we see fasting there in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, and chapter 14, verse 23. As we see the church making decisions, we see that they engaged in fasting and praying. You could say that they were seeking God's will, and they used fasting as a way to line themselves up with God's will. And I think that's a good pattern for us. Fasting can help us as we seek God's will. But what's the purpose of fasting? Just think about that. What, what's the purpose of fasting? It should be to meet with God, right? To, to seek Him. To turn our face towards Him. Abstaining from food can remind us that we need God even more than we need food. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're pretty good at living on bread, Uh, I've said this before, but um, we usually don't miss too many meals, here in America at least. Thankfully, we have enough resources that when we're hungry, we can eat. And and we're pretty good about putting that into our eating schedule. But what about living on the Word of God? And here's where fasting can play a helpful role. Fasting can be a time where we, we set aside food, and even set aside the preparation of food sometimes, um, and, and a tip there would be use that time that you have you've gained then from not eating or from not preparing food and use that time to meet with God, to spend extra time in prayer and reading his word. And as your stomach tells you you're hungry, let that be a reminder to you of how much you need God. And every time you hear your stomach growl, you can say a prayer and talk to God. God, I need you. More than I need food, I need you. In that sense, fasting can be a spiritual discipline. If you heard that phrase, it's a good one. A spiritual discipline is anything that we would do that's meant to help us walk with God. So it can be things like fasting or reading your Bible or praying or going to church or tithing, etc. But here's where we need to be really careful because the point of those spiritual disciplines isn't just that we would do them and say, hey God, did you see? I got my quiet time in today. Make sure you check that one off. The point of any spiritual discipline is that our heart would meet with God. Otherwise, we're falling into the same trap as the Pharisees. Do you see how spiritual disciplines for them led to mere rule following? So fasting or any spiritual discipline can be a way to remind ourselves of our need for God. But if it's not done right, it's of no benefit. It's only as we do it by faith. And let me use an illustration here. I hope it's not too cryptic. I hope that nobody has any nightmares about this. It's meant to be funny, and so please take it that way. Have you seen that cartoon 
where a guy opens a closet door and finds a skeleton in there. I found one of these online. Here it is. I'll read the caption for you. After 11 years, 6 months, and 4 days, Willie Perkins was finally found, officially making him the hide-and-seek champion of the world. Um, Willie Perkins was playing hide-and-seek by the rules. Hide until somebody finds you. And boy, he did a great job at that. But Willie Perkins missed the the whole point of the game of hide-and-seek. The point isn't that you would starve yourself to death. It's that you would have fun with your friends. And similarly, fasting, the point of it isn't just that you would not eat food. The point is that your heart would meet with God. So don't miss God in your spiritual disciplines. Don't assume that God is pleased with you just because you didn't eat. Don't assume that God is pleased with you just because you opened your Bible. Meet with God. Follow Jesus. That's what's important here. And as you meet with God, again, here's the point of the sermon series, God will change your heart. He will make you more like Jesus as you walk with him. Let's get back to our passage now, the last two verses. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. These verses used to confuse me. I think I was just overthinking them. The point is that with Jesus, there's a new way of doing things, and sometimes the new doesn't mix with the old. And here, the old represents the Pharisees' way of doing things in their rule following. And again, the new represents what Jesus wanted to do with us as we walk by faith. So let me repeat a point that I just made. Any spiritual discipline that we do in which our heart doesn't meet with God misses the target. That was the Pharisees' way of doing things. That's what, in part, Jesus came to correct those people who thought they were earning God's favor by doing spiritual-looking things. No, Jesus came to forgive us, to forgive sinners like you and me, and to clothe us with righteousness, and to bring us into a relationship with God in which we can walk with him for the rest of our lives. But the point of all of that is not just that we would do stuff for God, but that we would do our life with God. And that's where I want to repeat my big idea for today. Our relationship with God isn't first and foremost about following rules. It's about following Jesus. And yes, rules have a a place in our relationship with God but we must not miss the heart. It's not just that we would do spiritual-looking things, it's that our hearts would meet with God. And that's where God changes us. I'm reminded here of a passage that, that often stands out to me in the Bible. It's in a place, in a different place, where Jesus was talking with the Pharisees, and he said about them, quoting the Old Testament, in Matthew 15, 8-9, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. That's in Matthew 15, quoting from the Old Testament. I, I don't want that to be true of us. That, that our lips, our actions are doing the right things, but that our hearts are far from God. So we should be people who constantly analyze our hearts and, and let God show us what's going on inside of our hearts. Are we following Jesus or are we following rules? And again, don't get me wrong. Rules can be good. In fact, Jesus told us that one of the ways that we can remain in his love is to obey his commands. That's John 15. 
We can remain in the love of Jesus by obeying his commands. Now, some people focus on the obedience part of that and say, look at me, I'm doing it. But what was the whole point of it? Jesus told us. It's that we would what? Remain in his love. That's a heart thing. It's possible for us that we get to the point where we do spiritual looking things, but our hearts aren't in it. And let's look at two examples of that. Fasting and and reading our Bibles. So fasting. And, And by the way, some of you may not be in the regular habit of fasting, and maybe one of the takeaways from today's sermon could be that you should try it. I think it's a a good and useful thing, a helpful spiritual discipline in our lives as Christians today. But fasting, when done wrong, is nothing more than not eating. And I think about that as, what a bummer of a day. (laughs) I didn't eat food, and I didn't meet with God. That is not a good day in my book. But fasting, when done right, can be a reminder for us, like I said before, how much we need God, even more than we need food. Our love for God can increase in a fast, and we can get more in tune with the will of God. Some of you might want to try it. Some of you, (laughs) maybe there's somebody in here who needs to not do your next fast because you just do it the same way you always did it and you didn't meet with God. But that's where we need to analyze our hearts. Let's think about reading the Bible, though. That's maybe one that hits home a little bit more for us. Reading your Bible is a spiritual discipline. I highly, highly recommend that you read the Bible every day. And as part of that, I would also recommend that you have a Bible reading plan. I have one that helps me get through the entire Bible. Now, having said that, you don't get brownie points just for opening your Bible and reading it. Um... There have not been many days over the last two decades where I have missed a day of my devotions. But you know what? I do not want any awards for that. And let me tell you why. Because there have been days, I'm sure of it, where I've opened the Bible and my heart hasn't been in the right place. Where um, maybe I was just doing it because I felt like I should do it and get it done and move on to the next thing in my day. You don't deserve any awards for that. I don't. So what's the right way to do it? The right way to do it is we come expectantly before God. We open our word and we remember this is God's gift to me. His word on pages in my language that I can understand, where I can hear from who God is, I can hear about who God is, where God's Holy Spirit will transform me as I submit to him, as I listen to what he has for me in it. And when we meet with God like that, That's where there's this power of transformation. And again, that's the whole point of this sermon series, is that we would put ourselves in a place where we're following Jesus, where we're meeting with him, where we go into whatever he leads us into, whether that's reading your Bible, or maybe at some point you're reading your Bible and you get a phone call from your friend who needs help, and you go and help them and show compassion like Jesus has. Whatever we do, we're doing it because God leads us into it. And as we walk with God like that, He changes our hearts. And if we love God like that, even our obedience will be a joy. The spiritual disciplines we do can be done with a heart attitude of worship where God will receive glory and where God will change our hearts. But again, it's not about rules. It's about following Jesus wherever he leads us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people who follow Jesus 
God, may we be ready at a moment's notice to go wherever you lead. God, I pray that the spiritual disciplines that we do, we would do with the heart of wanting to know you and to grow in our faith and to honor you and to serve those around us. God, show us what's going on in our hearts, though. I pray that our hearts would not be far from you. God, we know some of the routines that we can do, some of the things that might look spiritual, but God, we ask you to show us what's on our hearts, that we might honor you by the things that we do. Not just doing the right things, but doing the right things with the right heart, following Jesus all along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.